I had a pretty good idea when I was in my 20s of what I wanted life to look like in my 60s. And here I am in my 60s, and I'm not exactly what I set out to do, but it's not so far off. Every one of us has an individual goal for what success means personally and professionally. What I encourage people to do is don't just focus on today or tomorrow or next quarter, next year. Don't focus on the next opportunity or your next promotion. Think about what life looks like personally and professionally in 15 or 20 years. Because God willing, you're going to be there. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, very special episode uh, for you here today. Uh, we have chairman CEO of Take Two, partner at ZMC. This guy is a legend and has been a mentor and a friend uh, for a very, very long time. The one and only Strauss Zelnick. Strauss, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here with both of you. We've had on you know many different CEOs and founders on the show. Your career is uh, super inspiring, and I want to get into what you do professionally. Uh, but what I think originally brought us together, and what has really you know inspired me outside of you know the fact that you run one of the largest games publishing efforts in the world, is your outlook on life, your outlook on fitness, your outlook on um, performance. So maybe a good place to start off with is what have you done today in terms of working out? Because I have like a bunch of conversations I want to take from there. All right. Well, it's a good question. I, I woke up this morning at around quarter of six in Boston. <clears throat> I worked out at Equinox with a friend. Uh, then I flew to New York uh, to do some stuff here this afternoon. And when I got off the plane, I went to the gym and worked out with another friend. So I've worked out oh, twice today. God. And I circulated both workouts in, in a uh, WhatsApp chat that I have uh, for the program, which is the um, sort of tongue-in-cheek name for our fitness group. So I'm on this little WhatsApp group, and I thought before coming on the show, in sort of like I should prepare. So I did one, well, of the two workouts. Well, I did kind of half of one of the two workouts. And, uh, half of one of the two Yeah, workouts. pro tip, don't do one of Strauss's workouts before going on a podcast. This is That was not a good idea. But Why though, Strauss? Like what's, what's driving two workouts a day? Uh, like I, the reason I ask this question is, you know, they, they, obviously that's much more than like a normal person usually does uh, on a Friday. You know, you're like traveling cities. You have a pretty hectic schedule. Uh, what's the focus on uh, fitness? Uh, what's the philosophy around it? It's a great question because you certainly don't need to work out twice in a day. And I don't work out twice every day by any means. Um, part of it is that one of the ways that I catch up with friends is to get together in the gym. So I, I have a, I have a family who I love, and you know, I actually really like spending time with my wife. And so we have dinner together most of the time. I, I don't go out with friends for dinner without my wife. Um, I don't drink, so I don't go out to bars and like have drinks with people. Mm -hmm. um, so my my social time with friends is is the gym. So I worked out with two friends today, and they were in different cities, so I wasn't gonna work out with them together. Um, I also really love fitness and. If I work out, you know, in the morning as I did, the workout in the morning is different than the workout midday or in the afternoon. So it's not like exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, fitness is something that's both it, it's healthy and it's fun and it's engaging because I'm with other people. So it speaks to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my it's it's my primary pursuit when I'm not with my family and I'm not at work. I loved reading your book, which, by the way, I highly recommend people go out and buy and yeah. read. Before I read the book, when I knew you, looked at you, I was like, well, Strauss has always been this crazy, athletic, 
you know, workout fitness person. But that book was fascinating because, you know, you, you are not always this way. And it was kind of something which you started, you know, I think sometime around the age group that I am in right now. So could you maybe talk about how we were in your 20s and 30s in terms of fitness and performance and what made you get started on this journey? I always cared about being in reasonably good shape, but I wasn't really focused on it. And um, I, I sort of first got kicked into gear when I was in my early 20s. I was in grad school and I was always really thin. And a friend of mine and I were sitting around and he said, Charles, you have a potch. And I was like, I'm skinny. I don't know a potch. He said, well, you may be skinny, but you have a potch. Look down. So I looked down. And I was like, oh my God. So I went to, I started going to the gym the next day. I would say that working out um, played you know, a somewhat important role in my life from my early 20s until my late 30s. And, you know, I was asked a question by someone actually this morning at, at the gym, which was, how do you balance everything? And the answer is, you don't balance everything. You know, it's a uniquely American fantasy that you can have it all. And at any given time, I think you can have three or maybe four priorities. That's cribbing um, a point of view from Kevin Ryan. Kevin believes you could have three. I'd push it to four. My four are uh, family and friends, work, fitness, and charitable work, mentoring, and coaching. Uh, and so I, I have to let certain things go by the wayside because I do focus on those four things. When I was in my 30s, you know, the family part really you know, was, was bigger, and so was the work in many ways because I was building businesses, and you know, I wasn't as far along in my career. I did not the same reputation uh, as I have now or the track record or the experience. So work and family really took a lot of time and fitness had to shrink as a result and take less time. By the way, charitable work, mentoring and coaching didn't play as important a role either. First of all, I didn't have the means to be as charitable. Secondly, I didn't have the experience to be as effective a coach. And now as, as time has passed and I've, I've had some success in business and my kids are out of the house, I, I can expand the time that I can spend on fitness and as I've had, you know, some experience, perhaps I, you know, I'm more capable of being a coach. So I spend more time on that. Um, but trust me, when I was in my early thirties, I wasn't looking out eight to 12 times a week. I was, I was struggling to get to the gym three times a week, you know, cause I had like a business that my hair was on fire most of the time. And I had, you know, little kids who you know, got up in the middle of the night. I had to like, mm-hmm. <laughs> change the change the crib bedding because they'd thrown up in the middle of the night. My wife, yeah. who does everything, did not do that. That's where she drew the line. That was my job. What you're saying is there's still hope for us. Uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure I'm doing a good job on the crib stuff. The second inflection point was when, so I was in my late 30s and um, my wife said to me, you know, for someone who goes to the gym a lot, because I was going to the gym more, she said, you don't look very good. And uh, <laughs> ouch. I said, I said, okay. She said, I think you should get a trainer. I said, I'd get a trainer, but I'm in better shape than all the trainers I know. She said, you are not in better shape than this trainer I just met. And she introduced me to a trainer named John Kim. And I was definitely not in better shape than John. And I'm certainly not now. Um, and he really put me through my basis and sort of kicked me into gear. And that was, that was a thing that catapulted me forward. I also read a book called Younger Next Year, which I recommend. And it really is a book actually aimed at people in their 60s. I was not, obviously, in my 60s. Um, but nonetheless, it spoke to me, and it really encourages you to get exercise at least five days a week, yeah. to, to drink lightly, if at all, uh, and to um, focus on meaningful relationships. And I found it super helpful. 
one of the things I love about the way you work out uh, is who you work out with. The often it involves younger people and bring in perspectives. So, you know, could you talk about that? Because I think it's such a unique way to, you know, get exposed to younger energy, younger, different viewpoints than the, somebody like you might usually be exposed to. I appreciate your asking. I train with a fitness group that's called The Program, and it's it's in New York. It also has an outpost in Los Angeles, and uh, it's a group of like-minded people who choose to train together, and it's all genders and all ages. It's um, It sort of ranges from 19 to my age. I'm probably at the high end of the spectrum. And they're probably, I don't know, probably 10% of the group is middle-aged or older, uh, 10% is under 20, and the average age is probably close to 30, so high 20s. That group trains together some, typically between two and five times a week mm. uh, here in New York. And it's not only a lot of fun, but it's highly motivating, and a lot of relationships have been developed through that group. Uh, that, during the pandemic, I also led um, fitness classes for my team at Take Two when we were all stuck at home, and I, I have a gym at home, and... Um, I had a Zoom set up in the gym, and we had 40-minute classes twice a week, and uh, it was just great. We had uh, 200 people joining those workouts. Okay, this is this is a question I really wanted to get to. So a bunch of people are watching this, you know, are in their late 20s, early 30s, you know, kind of, you know, kind of in sort of the earlier stages of their uh, career. Uh, they may go to the gym once or twice, or maybe not, and it's kind of like a thing which never gets prioritized. For somebody who wants to get started, Right, you know, what would you say? Because they have tried P90X, which I know you have a comment about. Uh, but where should somebody start? So I can tell you what they shouldn't do. What they shouldn't do is go online to a website uh, that promises you washboard abs in six weeks, okay. and they shouldn't. <laughs> and they shouldn't buy a pill that's going to get you shredded. There's no pill that's going to get you shredded, and uh, you can't get if you don't have washboard abs now. Trust me, you're not going to have them in six weeks. You may have them in six months, but not in six weeks. The The best way to get involved with more exercise, if you're not really into it now, is to start super gently, is to slowly induce your body and mind into an exercise program. If if you do the thing that people do on January 1st, you know, they establish the New Year's resolutions. And I'm going to work on every day super hard for an hour. I'm going to give up drinking. I'm going to give up sweets. I'm going to eat 1,500 calories. I'm going to be my best self. You know, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to do an hour of meditation. I'll get bed by 8.30 so I can get 10 hours. Take a sauna beforehand. I'm going to wear a monitor. A uh, cold plunge. Cold... Don't forget the cold plunge in the morning. Right, you have a cold <laughs> plunge, exactly. You know, you'll last for two weeks, maybe. Maybe, maybe two weeks. So what I say to people who aren't really getting any exercise at all is take a walk twice a week for 20 minutes. That's all. And go with a friend or your partner, um, or if you prefer, go by yourself. And start that way. 40 minutes a week of walking is actually really good exercise. And it's it's really low stress. Mm. Um, and if you do that for a couple of weeks and nothing else, just that, your body will most likely sort of be willing to do more. You can increase that to 30 minutes. Mm. Maybe, maybe make it three times a week. And then if you feel like really like to do a little bit more, add some calisthenics, some simple calisthenics mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. Sit-ups, push-ups, if you have a pull-up bar, you can always buy a pull-up bar that goes in a doorway. Maybe some pull-ups, maybe one pull-up, maybe you just hang if you can't do a pull-up. Mm -hmm. And maybe spend 10 minutes on sit-ups and push-ups. No more. And maybe do all of that a total of three days a week. No more. Don't ask for more. And then keep doing that after a few weeks. If you feel like you're up to it, 
go to a local gym and find a trainer and ask for a half hour training session, not 45 minutes, not an hour, and ask for a very gentle session, an introductory session that will teach you how to work out. Nothing that's going to cause you to sweat or blow up. And start doing that once or twice a week. Now that you're walking two to three, day, three days a week, maybe you're doing calisthenics at home two days a week, maybe you're going to the gym one day a week. You're now getting a good deal of physical activity and your body's going to tell you what you want more of. If you can get to a point where you're working out three days a week for 45 minutes or more in the gym, plus walking, just as an example, you're going to be pretty fit. You'll be, mm-hmm. you'll be fit from a, from a heart point of view. You'll be fit from a muscular point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what I did. When I started my 20s, that is basically what I did. I went into fitness in a very gentle way. I asked very little of myself. When I finally got into the gym and I was still in school, I would go for 20 minutes and the best part of the workout was the shower afterwards mm. because I didn't really like it. But, you know, I could bend my mind around 20 minutes and then my body wanted more. And now, you know, I can work out for two hours a day as I did today in two different workouts and it doesn't feel like asking. Well, I enjoy it. Wow. I feel energized. I feel good. But if I had started that way, forget about it. You, you, won't, you won't do it. And if you don't do it, you know, you're not going to get more fit. A couple other tips. Do not bring an electronic device to the gym with you. So if you have a workout that you want to pursue, print it out. You probably still have a printer. Mm-hmm. Print it out. You don't have to look at it on your phone. Hey. Um, and that is really, really important because look around the gym. If you go to the gym, more than 50% of the people will be on their phones more than 50% of the time, which means that they devote an hour to the gym. They really got a half hour workout, if that. And you can actually see people if you if you're to be put onto something. They were in there for an hour and a half who actually got no exercise. <laughs> they spoke to the trainer, they spoke to friends, they went to the water fountain, they looked at their phone. So don't bring your phone to the gym. The reason I wanted to bring up this whole workout fitness topic with you is it uh, one, um, you know, you're a few years older than, you know, Arthur or me, and you know, one, you just look freaking fantastic. And we're going to use your shirtless photo as a thumbnail on this YouTube video just to <laughs> drive just uh, to clicks. So thank yeah. you in advance. But <laughs> no, more seriously, you know, I know a lot of people who are much younger than you who are nowhere near as hard charging and really in it as much as you are. I was looking at, well, who are the kinds of people I want to sort of model my life and fitness and how I live after? And I looked at you and I was like, wow. I would love to be where Strauss is because I know a lot of people even that, you know, who are much, much, much younger than you who don't have the energy and stamina and or definitely don't have the abs uh, that you do, which may be a good segue because um, uh, you're known for working out, but I always loved how you thought about architecting your own career. You had many narratives uh, and arcs inside it um, and also how helpful you've been to me and others in mentoring. But maybe could you walk us through sort of the major storylines and arcs of your career? Because you lived multiple lives, um, you know, before even your current role. And I think it's a fascinating story. Initially, I wanted to be in the movie business. And um, it didn't really matter that it wasn't a very good business. I mean, it hasn't been a good business since before I was born. Uh, I just thought it was, and frankly, I thought it was like cool and glamorous. Um, And you know, you have to get into the business to realize how uncool and not glamorous it is, but let's put that to the side. Mm. Um, so I went to uh, college on the East Coast of Wesley, and I went to grad school. And I, I went to grad school because um, I thought if I, if I got a couple of graduate degrees, it might help me enter the entertainment business at a higher level. And and in fact, that was the case. I was really fortunate when I, when I graduated, I 
I was uh, able to go to Columbia Pictures in television distribution. Now, television distribution is about as far away from motion picture production as you can get in an mm -hmm. entertainment company. But I was inside Columbia Pictures. I did well in that job for an array of reasons. I got promoted. I became the youngest vice president at Columbia at that time. And then I was recruited from there to what was then a new media company. It was, it was a home entertainment company back mm -hmm. in the days when video cassette distribution was new media. And that was my first exposure to businesses that were more modern and more uh, driven by technology than the old fashioned movie business. Um, best, that company was called Vestron. I, for odd array of reasons, I became the president very quickly. The first picture I greenlit became a huge hit, um, unexpectedly. And that helps me get recruited to become president of 20th Century Fox at a very young age of 32. And the team um, that I led there made a huge array of hits. We were number one at the box office from being last in place when we got there for basically the whole time I was there. Um, I then left because I realized the movie business was, you know, economically a bad business. I'd had a really good run at the end of the day. You know, those two things would not continue together. Like the business would stay bad, but I would not continue to have a good run. And, uh, mm. I realized that what I really wanted to do was be involved with the intersection of entertainment mm -hmm. and technology and this business called video games was beginning to spring up. Mm -hmm. And I had a feeling, luckily a correct feeling that interactive entertainment would become the next huge entertainment business. And I might have the opportunity to get in more or less on the ground floor by no means, by no means the beginning of the business, but it was relatively early. Mm -hmm. So I left to become uh, the pre-revenue studio of Crystal Dynamics, which was mm -hmm. just really a vision of founders. Um, but I just want to, I, I think that's such a huge point there because you were in sort of a industry which was well known, had a lot of prestige, existing legitimacy, and you moved to video games at a time, which is definitely not the video game industry that we exist in today. Okay. There is an alternative timeline where you do something safer, right? You go to another movie industry and you know, obviously had a pick of your roles and a pick of your career. Did that feel like a huge risk to you to make a bet like that? You're looking at the only person who voluntarily left the job of president of 20th Century Fox, right? Uh, and walked away from my bonus that year, you know, the contract and all the fancy perks and the parking space with my name on it <laughs> um, and the security guards at the gate who knew me and all that to go to a pre-revenue company in Palo Alto it was actually at the Palo Alto airport. If you're familiar with that, there's some, there's some like, uh, they look like containers, but they're actually little offices at the Palo Alto airport. That was our first office and it was horrible. I mean, just horrible and, uh, undercapitalized. And, uh, I put my entire network, which wasn't much into crystal dynamic stock. So it felt like an enormous risk on the one hand, um, and then on the other hand, it felt like a great opportunity. And I married someone who was always willing to support me. And, and it never even occurred to my wife that it was risky. It's, mm. One of the great things about my wife is she actually can't even like feature the possibility that I might fail. Now, I, on the other hand, very much could feature that possibility. And in fact, <laughs> I think one of the things, one of the things I don't mean, I'm not quite sure what to do with it is I can capture two um, uh, opposing thoughts at the same time. One was, the one you just talked about, which, oh my God, like, this is a terrible risk. What am I doing? How can I walk away from this job? And the other was, I think 
video games might be a huge business. I think I might be getting in really early. I own a significant piece of this company. This could be huge and I could really make my way in a way that I never can in a mature mm-hmm. business that's been around for 80 years. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a pioneer in the movie mm-hmm. business. At best, I would be a good movie executive. Right. Um, but I was able to capture both ideas. Sorry, I got, I, I told you a thumbnail. This is no longer a thumbnail. I'll try to speed it up. No, no, oh, no this okay. is this is the best look, part. I, I resonate with it, but look, different career paths. But I started as an engineer, worked on like very low level engineering systems, and then I joined Xbox. Then this was like twelve years ago, something like that. And that by then, Xbox was like fairly well known. But even at that point, like within Microsoft, it felt like, oh my God, why would you throw your life away? Like this just <laughs> right. this felt like. You know, you the, oh, this is kind of where like the the punk kids like oh, yeah. can join, and they had their own like cool stuff in their refrigerators. It was considered cool, but in like a very um, rebellious way, and it's not something that serious people with serious careers went and did. And so I I totally resonate yeah. with that in a different way. It, it went on to like help me immensely. I went to Netflix after, and I learned a whole lot. Um, but at that time, there was no real feeling of like video games was going to be the future. It's what the nerds do in their basement, right? Like that. The, uh, and like, I still get that today. <laughs> I still run into people are like, yeah, that's what like uh, people who are 19 years old and unemployed do in their parents' basement. I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> no. Interactive entertainment is America's pastime. It's the world's pastime. It's the biggest entertainment business. It's bigger than motion mm-hmm. pictures and television and music combined. Um, and the average age of a gamer is 37. Oh, yeah. 55% male, 45% female. You know, my mom plays video games. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, RTC. She is is over 37. I'll just say, this is not meant to just kind of flatter you. RT can vouch for me. Um, I play NBA 2K all the time. And even tonight, I have a friend abroad who I play with. Uh, and Strasbourg's like, and, and it's great. Like it's a great way to build social connections and bonding, especially through the pandemic and everything, where we just haven't seen people. But yeah. you know, pick up and play a NBA two K game, and yeah. it's really fun. You just expressed what's so exciting about our business. You said I'm going to be playing with a friend later on. Yeah. There, there are two reasons you're playing that game later. One is that you like the game. You have to have the backdrop of a good game. The other is you have a friend overseas you're playing with. By the way, have you met that friend in person? For not for a long time. This person lives in Dubai, and we rarely, if ever, get to meet. And so it is an excuse to hang out, and we chit chat. And the game is kind of like the sideshow, uh, um, but it's really just a chance to hang out. My mom plays bridge online. She's a bridge player, and uh, she has friends. She plays with. She has never met them. She probably never will meet them in person. But they're genuine friends. They're actual friends. That's that's incredible. Anyhow, so I was at Crystal. I then got recruited to go back to big company land to turn around a, a big record company. This is back in the days when that was not an oxymoron. And if you know, I'd done turnarounds. I've now been in a number of entertainment businesses: television, home entertainment, video games, a little bit of music when I was at Fox and motion pictures. And I thought adding more experience would be sensible because I, I had a vision of my career as a career that would, would encompass numerous parts of of media and entertainment. And the experience at Crystal had been a success, albeit not a huge success, but it had been successful early. And I thought it was a great opportunity to to go to BMG, where I was responsible for turning around first the North American division and then ultimately building up the worldwide company. I did that for six and a half years. And while I was there, we started a video game business called BMG Interactive. 
And um, for a array of reasons, the leadership at the parent company forced us to divest that company. We did um, at a loss, basically, um, to a tiny little public company called Take Two Interactive. Mm -hmm. uh, did that deal in 1999. We sold BMG Interactive for uh, under $20 million. And um, the first release from BMG Interactive that was, was actually handled by Take Two post closing was the first Grand Theft Auto. Yep. Um, I, I then, um, left for an array of reasons to start my own business. I was ready to start my own business. And I, uh, along with the co-founders started ZMC mm -hmm. with an eye towards building an array of media entertainment and communications assets that would be driven by and informed by digital technology. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we bought a bunch of companies, we built them up that went pretty well. And in 2007, we took over take two interactive. And we've been building that up ever since. And at the same time, have continued to build ZMC, which is now a leading uh, private equity firm focused on the, the media, entertainment, communications, and technology space. The reason I love that story, among other things, is uh, there are parts of pe people watching the show and they listen to the first part about your workout routine and they go like, well, I'm too busy. I mean, you have multiple roles going on now and you've squeezed in two workouts today. So like, you know- No one uh, has an excuse. So nobody yeah. else has an excuse. I think the reason I love your story, of, especially about Take Two, is I think of video games as such a creative endeavor, right? There is, uh, you know, there is so much kind of art in, involved. You're dealing so much with a community who cares so much about the shot mechanics, you know, in NBA 2K or, you know, so on. And how do you sort of balance your role because you come, uh, I think because you sort of bring a balance between the business side to working with a bunch of really creative people with a very passionate community. And I think that is very interesting. And it's something the technology world, I think we often need to learn more of, which is how do you sort of balance uh, uh, the creative side versus the business side? You are the intersection of that. So how do you think about that? Well, and the way you think about it in, in any entertainment business is that you have to make hits to be relevant. That's a, the job of any leader in the entertainment business. So I'm not a gamer. I wasn't someone who you know read scripts and I didn't produce music um, and I didn't make television shows. I've never been the creative genius you know, at any company I've been at, but I have a great appreciation for creative genius. And if I have any talent at all in this business, it is that I actually can identify other people's talent. And I seem to be able to distinguish between extraordinarily creative people and people who, are, who may be good, but maybe aren't great. Wait, how do you and do that? Uh, what does it tell? Like, what do you look for in a meeting, that body of work? Like, double click on that for us a bit. Well, you have to have a body of work. So it's not like I'm walking down the street and I just like trip across someone and say, oh, you know, you're <laughs> selected. I'm, I mean, this is, you know, we're not discovering people at Schraff's drugstore like they did in the 1920s. We're talking about creative businesses, then you have to have made hits before. Um, but, but then there's something ineffable that I think I'm looking for in a creative person. It's it's combination of, I don't know, Passion, it's commitment, might be stubbornness, it's intensity and drive. Um, it's just a feeling that that person wants to make great art uh, and also wants to to influence the, the landscape, actually to make a mark. Um, 
And I've, I've been able to have an intuitive feel for people like that and then encourage them to work within whatever system I'm in, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was struggling a bit, because again, I've, I've been responsible for a bunch of turnarounds. Um, and what I try to do is put those people in a position where they have as, as few barriers as possible and not only encourage them to follow their passions, but insist that they follow their passions mm-hmm. and only work on things that reflect those passions. And then we try to uh, create a business environment that's rational and sound and kind and civil uh, where they're not bothered. (laughs) And then we have an obligation to build a worldwide marketing and distribution team that is second to none. And finally, we have to have the balance sheet to support the risks that you take in any creative Mm -hmm. business and also enable our teams now and then to fail and still live to play another day. I, I think that's our approach. It's it's not different than what everyone else says. What's different is that we actually do it. Okay. It's hard to do it. Yeah. It's very hard to be faced with a difficult economic decision that um, a creative person uh, wants you to make in service of their goals of making superb art and making a hit. Sometimes it's really hard to make those decisions. And we do make them in service of the artistic endeavor. I, I was looking forward to asking you this because in the tech world, I worked in a bunch of social media companies and they tend to have very passionate, very vocal people who often use your same platforms to hate on you. And um, and I've always loved how the video game world has had to deal with that. So for example, you obviously run multiple franchises and they have a game which comes out every single year. They are a very passionate community. And I think sometimes there's a balance of pushing the game forward uh, or making an experiment or making bets in certain ways. And then the community reacts. Sometimes they love it. Sometimes they hate it. And there is kind of a dance and an art to that. And how do you think about that? Because if you're just not building art, you're also dealing with the living community who's, who, who are not shy and who are not quiet. I think I'll give you an example of uh, our title, mm-hmm. Civilization, which is made by Firaxis, which is a studio within 2K. And civilization players are really passionate about mm-hmm. civilization. They really care about civilization. And remember, in, in the entertainment business, and you know this yourself, you know, we we adopt our hits. Like, they're part of us. They're part of our family. You know, we have a, a great affinity for them, and we take it personally if people screw around with them. Like, you know, it's not okay if, if the creators make a choice that is inconsistent with you know, how we think these hits should be developed. So every time we put out a new civilization, there's a meaningful change in the experience. And we're always all nervous about whether our audience is going to accept that change. But the creators at Firaxis have this incredible ability to, to move the franchise forward in a way that's exciting, but never lose the audience when they do that. They, and they've done it over and over and over again. I, I know they'll do it in the future. Um, so you've, you've identified a significant issue whenever we put out a sequel or even even more as we do with Civilization, really recreate the franchise. I think that's a challenge that folks at Rockstar face every time there's a new iteration of Grand Theft Auto. It needs to be something you've never seen before on the one hand, and it needs to reflect the feeling that we have about Grand Theft Auto. And that's a big challenge for the team. Um, now, Rockstar's answer is just seek perfection. Like, mm-hmm. Seek nothing short of perfection, and we'll get there. 
Um, I think Firaxis's answer isn't quite that. It's a bit more nuanced. It's it, it, maybe not seeking perfection. It's like, let's create something that no one would have thought of, but when they see it, it fits. Um, and so each franchise has its own destiny. You know, when Gearbox puts out another Borderlands or when they create a spinoff title like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, wow. Randy and his team take this great leap forward. Um, but, but there's a bridge, there's a creative bridge. Um, and that bridge is different than civilization. It's, it's different than Grand Theft Auto's. They all seem to work. And you are, you're right. If we get that wrong, um, you know, we fail. And we don't always get it right, but we usually do. One of the most ardent fans of Civilization I've ever met is Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And uh, I, I've actually spoken to Mark about <laughs> Civilization, so I definitely know. This. He, he, well, he has some strong views. I think he has strongly <laughs> held views. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love that. It's great. Uh, it's good. I, I would say, with, with both on that and McDonald's, McDonald's and Vin Diesel. You know, I have not spoken about McDonald's. I'll put that on the list for our next call. So one of the things I love about you is. Uh, we don't live on the same coast, but some of the few times that I've run into you are at WWE uh, live events. Yeah. And by the way, when we do this video, we're going to edit in your custom entrance uh, in the <laughs> WWE uh, 2K games, which I absolutely... Uh, right. I, I, it's love it. It strikes fear into your opponents, I'm sure. You just <laughs> send, send that door. You're like, you don't want to get... The shooter, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, but you know that I'm a huge WWE fan. We have some, you know, shared friends over there. You see the title belt oh, yeah, over there. Yeah, so I the, do. The, the <laughs> I have one of my opposite. That's take two. Okay. <laughs> he has a whole entrance. He, he has me beat on every sort of uh, thing over there. But I am curious, like, what makes the WWE interesting? And maybe what have you learned from the way they do business and the way they interact with their fans? As you know, I love WWE and I, I love the team over there. And they're about to enter, a, you know, a new exciting era. Uh, by being part of, of WME, I think that's also very exciting. Um, and what they're doing creatively is great. But what do I like about WWE? I like that it's you know it it serves this massive fan base, mm. and it it delights people from you know the age of two to the age of ninety, um, and that it's it's about fighting, but it's not about hurting people. Oddly, mm. you know you don't. It's a cartoon, ultimately. You never get hurt, right? Actually, people can get hurt because it's, it's incredibly athletic. But the, the concept is you don't really get hurt, right? You live to play another day. You always bounce back up. And sometimes you're a bad guy and sometimes you're a good guy. And you don't know which it's going to be. Um, and you leave the event with a huge smile on your face, right? And not all entertainment does that for you. You can be very entertained by something and not leave with a smile on your face. Just ask my wife. When she uh, when she goes to to the theater here in New York, there are first elections. I'm like, I've already had a somewhat challenging day. I am not going to that. But it's not happening. I love that about WWE. I love the the excitement. I love um, the sense of wonder that you get. It's amazing to be in a an arena with ninety thousand other people or a hundred thousand other people um, seeing the spectacular event. And they do something like that 500 plus times a year all over the world. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, I'm thrilled that our game is terrific. Got the highest Metacritic score mm. uh, in the franchise's history. And it's, it's actually the highest scoring sports sim for for uh, the year in North America. So that's, that's nothing short of incredible. 
Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a great game. Uh, I don't know. I I I don't know. Are you are you a character in it? I might need to play as you. I am not. I'm not a character in this. I I don't think anyone's. No one's been asking for that. You know, after if people see this clip and then they start asking for it, maybe it'll happen. But it's not like people are desperate to have me. You yeah. might need to somebody send send this to your team. No, I the, one of these I love WWE is you know the spectacle and the entertainment factor. But the other part of it is they're so attuned with their fan base. Um, in a way which I kind of wish my product teams could be because they hear them live. They hear them from Gorilla, like, you know, behind the curtain. They're also and- inclusive. You know, they they don't take political positions. They want, this is a place for everyone. It's a big tech. Mm-hmm. And um, they are open-minded about, you know, right, left, up, down, um, whatever your background, whatever your orientation, whatever your age, you are welcome wwe and mm-hmm. and it speaks really well of them yeah. you know mm-hmm. it's and speaks really well of the experience again i i feel like anyone can go and you feel uplifted in the last few minutes we have i want to kind of bring it back to you know like your earlier career a lot of people are going to be watching this and they're going to look at you and say like i want to be that guy um and you're interesting because uh it's very flattering it's hard for me to believe but i appreciate it well, they will once we have the shirtless photo up, right? Then oh. they will, like, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and again, okay, there's a uh, well. I'll, I'll stay away from a few jokes there. But uh, and uh, but I think you are fascinating because uh, we sometimes have a founder on the show, and they are like, well, you know, this person created a company in their twenties and they became a billionaire, and that was it. But you have kind of clawed your way up, taken risks, sometimes failed. And one of the things I think you've talked about in the past is uh, how you sometimes said priorities, which you kind of refresh, you know, time to time, which I think you've recently done too. So imagine you're, you're talking to our audience, which is late 20s, early 30s. They had some experience of professional career, maybe like five, six years out of school, uh, but not really made it. What would you have them do? Think long and hard about what they truly want out of life. It's really tempting to take on other people's views of what success is. And it, it, that's promoted to us all day long. It's promoted to us very much in Silicon Valley. Like success is just what you said. I found a company, uh, I dropped out of school and I found founded a company when I was 22 years old and sold it for $10 billion. And now I'm a multi-billionaire and um, have a big private chat or whatever, whatever that vision is. That may be a path for some people, but frankly, it's not really a path for very many people. And, uh, and I don't mean because it, you don't get there. I mean, because every one of us has an individual goal for what success means personally and professionally. What I encourage people to do is don't just focus on today or tomorrow or next quarter, next year. Don't focus on the next opportunity or your next promotion. Think about what life looks like personally and professionally in 15 or 20 years, Mm -hmm. because God willing, you're going to be there. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. It's human nature for you all to look at me and say, you know, I'm just never going to be that old. That's just never happening. He, he's going to get older. I simply not. But I have news for you. You will one day be sitting here and you'll be my age and then you'll be older too. And what do you want your life to look like that? And then roll the clock back and say, what choices do I make that are, that are in service of those goals? Mm-hmm. And be honest with yourself about what your values are and what your goals are. And I was. So my goal wasn't actually to to have the last nickel on earth. My goal, you know, like, I guess my, my, one of my goals was to be successful early, but I certainly didn't have a goal to like get successful and then retire or something like that. 
Um, I had a pretty good idea when I was in my 20s of what I wanted life to look like in my 60s. And here I am in my 60s, and it's not exactly what I set out to do, but it's not so far off. You know, mm. I live in the part of the world I wanted to live in. I'm happily married. I have a family, I have a business that I started um, that I control and run day to day. Um, I'm blessed materially. It has been by no means been perfect, and I have not won at every game I've played, but I more or less was able to build a life that reflected my vision of what success would mean for me. And that's what I encourage people to do. Think about that. Really think about that. Uh, everyone who's listening has in, has been granted this luxurious wish, which is that we're in a very tiny cohort on this planet of people who can choose. You know, I hate when people say you should follow your bliss. You know, for most people on this earth, you know what their bliss is? Feeding their families, uh, keeping the roof over their heads, you know, paying for medical care, maybe having an education for their kids. They don't get to think about what am I passionate about? What do I, you know, where do I want to work? Mm-hmm. Most of the people who are listening to this have this incredible luxury. They get to choose. Well, if you have that luxury, don't throw it away based on someone else's vision of what success means. Also, remember, you're going to be successful to the extent you align what you're really, really good at with what mm-hmm. you really like to do to the extent possible. You're not going to be successful if you follow someone else's vision, if you're not good at what they do. So it's tempting to say, well, I want to do what Mark Zuckerberg did, because that looks pretty awesome. Like, he's one of the richest guys on earth, and that's a huge company. And the answer is, well, are you? do you have his talents? Because guess what? I do not. I don't have his talents. I may have other talents, but I don't have his talents. Mm-hmm. So if I set out to do that, I would almost certainly fail. I, I think I had the presence of mind to choose a path that very much reflected it what I like to do and what I was good at. Um, it wouldn't be for everyone. So when you said, you know, you were being generous and flattering, a lot of people would like to view. I, I didn't, I wasn't kidding when I said, no, they really wouldn't. They wouldn't because this is my journey. It's really just my journey. And you have to find your own journey. And that's how you'll create your own success. That's well, awesome. Um, Stress, I wanted to say, the thing I like the most about this episode and just your book, uh, and, you know, we've, we've hung out a bit and virtually in the WhatsApp groups and everything is your clarity of thought. Um, I just wish more people would just sit down with themselves and just think about what is it that they're here for? What is it that they want to go do? And what is it that they can do with success for them? Like we do this for software products, right? Like it's like, well, you're going to launch this product. What is the success criteria? How do you know if it is actually good? You know, you have all these metrics and you're quantifying everything, but you rarely do that for yourself and for your life. And you're one of the few people who just has that incredible clarity of thought on who you are as a person and what you bring to the table. And for me, that is the most mm-hmm. profound lesson yeah. from this episode and from just like knowing you as such. Yeah. And, and I just want to say like, we had a lot of people, a lot of great business successes on this show and you, you know, your resume obviously more than speaks for itself, but I think it's the way you live your life, which I find like so inspiring. So, so this was a delight. Thank you. I know you have to run. Thank you so much for uh, doing this uh, with us and uh, for everyone listening, 20 minute walks, start there, right? And uh, you get to look like Strauss. Uh, well, maybe not, but let's start at 20 minute walks. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. much. Thanks for having me.